Welcome to episode number 35 of the Turfcast podcast. Tonight we are, let's see, it's June 7th. So we're back here just running into the early summer, getting into some conversation about a whole bunch of things because RD has so many projects going on. I have so many projects going on as usual. And today, for some unknown reason, even though I knew I was going to be doing this cast, I decided to mow down all of the cereal rye out in front of my house with no mask on. So I sound like I've had a cold for two weeks because I just put a bunch of dust into my system. But Sometimes you need to do that, RK. You know, you, they say you got to break a couple eggs to make an omelet. Sometimes you got to mow a few acres of cereal rye, you know, to make a respiratory system. That's, that's what I say. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I, I think you sound fine. You know, you can lower your defense mechanisms. Everything's good. Uh, you're in a safe space right now. It's all about grass here. Nothing about yeah. nothing about voices or pitches or any of that stuff. You know me as my my vocal, uh, you know things from long, long ago. I care way too much about <laughs> my vocals, audio, how something sounds. Then everyone else is like, it sounds fine. Uh, the uh, what nobody can see right now is that RK is in his new office, his control room, as he puts it, and the audio, at least on my end here, is stunning. So uh, well done, sir. And uh, you know, go forth here. We'll see what happens, see what we get into. So um, the thing I was going to ask about, right off the bat, got to go into weather talk because oh, yes. I am going to tell you what, RK, <laughs> it has been a real ball buster here. Um, some real tough conditions. Now, this week is okay. Uh, I can't complain. I don't know what it's like over there, but uh, we have not had measurable rain now here. Uh, most locations, there was a little bit of rain that passed through the area on Sunday this past week, uh, but it missed most of the area. So, uh, since May the 20th, so we're, we're working on about 18 days of no rain whatsoever. Uh, and maybe, maybe some rain Sunday here. Uh, we'll see, but yeah, it's been challenging. Uh, just so much going on in terms of, you know, what we're seeing in terms of um, the beginning stages of drought and then also sort of uh, some ET t- stuff, too, to, to kind of look ahead. So we'll talk a little bit about that once we uh, once we dive in there. But what? Listen, you're always the one complaining about weather. Usually I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's whatever. I'll deal with it. And I feel like I'm the one here groveling. So what what has it been yeah. like in Iowa? Well, we don't talk. A, I mean, we talk here and there, but through the weeks, this has been actually something that you've been bringing up. So I knew it was getting pretty serious when you're saying, man, we don't have enough rain here. I can't water. We can't even water things enough Mm -hmm. to keep them going. Truth. So we were very much in a similar situation earlier in May for probably the first two weeks of May or so. And my wife will tell you, I get to be a not so nice person to be around when I have to water things all day long and keep track of all this stuff and try to keep things alive. When we're in, and I'll, this is something I said on the podcast, I think last year, but humidity has become a big friend of mine. And I hated humidity all along until I started taking care of as much turf as I have right now. And when it's 30 mile per hour wind and there's no humidity and it's 85 degrees outside, I'm not a very happy person, Very, you know, so Luckily, we got out of that trend just a little bit. And we also, there's just been some thunderstorm rounds that have come through. Some people got some things, some people didn't. So it's one of those where you're looking at the radar and 
trying to steer things your direction, even if though you know mm. you have absolutely no control. But we got two inches of rain uh, about. I would say now it's been about a week ago and some people around here got four inches. Some people got six, some people got none. It just depends sort of where you're at. But um, yeah, that was lucky because it got humid after that. Got quite warm. We've been in right around uh, 90 for a couple days here, but Mm -hmm. it's cooling down going into this weekend too with some more chances. I mean, I think that's, that's stellar. That's the same thing here is that it cooled down. Like last week, uh, we had temperatures in the 90s, breezes, you know, uh, you know, winds 10 to 15 gusts up to 20 and maybe even a little bit higher than that. You know, so our ET rate, our evapotranspiration rate, which is, you know, how fast water is evaporating both out of the soil and the plant. Um, we've talked about it a lot on the show before, but for those new listeners, it's, you know, uh, expressed in the same um, same units that you would receive precipitation, right? So if I get, you know, oh, hey, I got three-tenths of an inch of rain. Okay. We all kind of have an expectation of what that's like. But when you get, uh, or excuse me, ET rates that are taking three-tenths out, that's exceedingly high uh, for the Midwest. You don't really see that, those, those uh, levels too often on ET. And we were there uh, at least three days last week. So abnormally dry early too. The other thing in... I tried looking up a bunch of papers and nerdery on this stuff, RK. I couldn't really find much in the way of turf grass. I think there's some other stuff out there on wheat and some other things, but um, particularly with like we had just finished the inflorescence, right? You know, with with bluegrass seeding out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember other than maybe like 2012, maybe. And I don't remember any other years that were quite this early where we had uh, really, really dry weather after that, but. I just remember that year being particularly tough because it was like the plant had just expended all this energy, right? And this is all anecdotal. And that's why I was trying to find some research to back it up. But, you know, it had just expended all this energy and then bam, you know, it's, you know, drought stress, especially if it's unirrigated. But even with irrigation, like I said, you know, we were struggling to keep up um, with all that. So interesting times. I definitely want to talk about irrigation because uh, I think that's something that, people may be uh, over relying on a little bit. I saw some talk on some of our, uh, some of our, our, our forums and, and discord servers and stuff like that uh, regarding uh, people doing irrigation audits and things like that. And some of this, this mini drought, if you want to call it that is exposing, you know, some of the holes in the irrigation system. So be a good, a good little chat there too. But yep. you know, what is uh, striking in the face of all this weather talk? And I just have to comment. I'm going to be the first one to put it out there. I don't want you to, <laughs> to feel, uh, you know, like you're being conceited or, or or boastful or anything like that. But I just want to say your front lawn looks really damn good. I'm not blowing smoke. It's not because he's my friend, ladies and gentlemen. The front lawn looks really darn good. What are you doing out there? What's what is going on? Is it just oh. good weather? Good fortune? Good good agronomy? Like. What's going right? And and I know, and, and I'm going to ask you this question because I know who I'm talking to and I know the audience here wants to know too. What are you kicking yourself about? Because I know there's got to be at least one oh, thing. Yeah. There's got to be one thing. That. We already had that plan. <laughs> there's like a list of things that you look at that you probably hang on the wall like Steve Buscemi did of the list of people to kill and Billy Madison. You yep. probably have all the things, all oh, that front yard. So anyway, I digress. The good... 
the bad, and the great about the front yard. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. So good, I would say you and I talked about, and I sent you this text the other day, and I was like, I think we're doing a little better than 80% coverage, which is my goal. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the good. Um, the great, maybe, I mean, honestly, I'd say I'm probably ahead of my expectations in general of where I, I thought it would be in the springtime. I thought by the fall, you know, by the time I do an overse- oversee this fall and maybe just some top dressing and stuff and make it a little more smoother and stuff that I would, I would definitely get there by the end of this year, but it's, it's ahead of schedule in terms of my mind too. And then the bad, I would say there's a couple of spots that are definitely bothering me in terms of leveling work that are still where we had some water lines that had some real uneven spots and I did my best when I was power raking and moving some stuff around to try to mitigate that, but it needs some work in a few spots. But honestly, like I said, I'm, I really can't complain too much about where it's at at this point. So I want to send you, let's see, Uh I will send you a photo of what's one of the other things that this is what has been bothering me. Mm. So I know you guys can't see this photo, but what happened was, I had those straw blankets out there and they did a really good job in helping me to maintain the moisture out there, especially because we had some dry stretches there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But as you can see in this photo here, there's a kind of a bare spot in the middle. So you see like a little uh, spot that's not looking very full, but around it, you'll see some spots that almost look kind of in a circle there that are fuller than they should be like overcrowding just a bit. Mm-hmm. So what happened underneath those blankets was a lot of this where I had some washout, almost like you see that in waves where water kind of just, yep. it looks like you see some waves. And so the only thing I am dealing with now is that those really thick spots are becoming as everything else is maturing, obviously are becoming really, really thick few areas that I did have some fungus and stuff. And I, I think this is a good thing that I'll be able to show people as far as overcrowding and Mm -hmm. why you don't just throw out as much seed as you want to and just say, Oh, I want my yard as thick as possible right at the beginning. Well, you have to remember, especially with this ryegrass being a bunch plant there that those bunches are going to get really, really thick as it matures. And if it's not even, it's not going to be great. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. But again, nitpicking some things. (laughs) This is such a like a minutia type thing, and this is why this is why we we talk for two hours uh, <laughs> a couple times a month and just record it because I see exactly what you're talking about. Like my eyes are immediately drawn to this in the photo, and I'm sure we can link this up in the show notes or something if people want to take a look at it. But yeah, it, totally what you're seeing there. I think okay. So do you want to? Well, okay. Uh, I'll just start from the beginning. From a seeding method standpoint, I think this would be interesting is if you replicate this somewhere else in the property. It's the same soil, same climate, obviously spring seeding versus fall seeding, but we're not going to get into that. But I wonder if you replicated this and used a different seeding method, you know, like a slit seeder, like uh, I think we talked before about that Vareto, that that seeder that uh, comes mm-hmm. from Italy and everything like that. They, I think that would make a big difference in terms of the the deposition of seed into soil in one spot where it stays and won't move and there's good yep. parts and bad parts about that you know so 
you, it takes a little bit longer. You wouldn't look this full this early if you did it that way. Right. Um, but you would build better density, right? More even density, I should say, across mm-hmm. the entire stand. But yeah, so then I guess, have you had this issue before on other, on other ryegrass seedings, like this particular issue? Not to this extent, I wouldn't say. I mean, I would definitely say every once in a while in the past, if you had a spot that was a low spot where a lot of seed washed into it or something, you would notice, okay, this is way thicker than it should be. But I would say on this one, it's more widespread this time just because of, you know, how big of an area I had. And then, yeah, scale. And then we just had a couple real heavy washout type rains at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. And as I said, those blankets really did a pretty good job in general, considering that type of washout that we had. But I have just noticed, and you know, I usually try to mow now at the like later evening or something, so I'm not going into mowing right before it bakes during the sun. And you can kind of look across the yard when you see it, and you look into the sun, and you'll see the lighter colors, and you you just see like these little heavier patches, and it almost looks like at first. I was like, ooh, I have some bunches of POA or something coming in because they also get a little bit lighter color to them just because of, you know, how thick that little spot is and you're kind of buzzing it off in a sense mm-hmm. almost. Yep. But, yep. So. Well, and that's the thing, that's the thing is like, I, I think that you'll get some, you know, some evening out and whatnot, but I think long term, yeah, like you've got some spots that you'll have to, potentially you know throw a little bit of soil and seed into like in these um like pockmarked areas right next to it where again the the seed just moved downhill and all that um but yeah that that, this is an excellent teaching tool picture like it's almost perfect to show people that you know overdoing your seed rate overcooking that and being like oh it says eight pounds per thousand i'm gonna go 12 because i'm cool and i've got more seed it's like well you know, they are all plants and each, you know, in this particular case, one seed equals one plant and they're all competing for the same amount of light and water and nutrients. And when you, you know, uh, change the dynamics and the, uh, the amount of, of competition out there, uh, usually not good things happen. So, yep. So uh, I did send you just right now a couple more examples of of what it looks like overall, but then there's one more example that was way, way worse in terms of everything washed into this one low spot. And you'll see how the fungus has already started to take that over, which I think I mentioned in one video. I was like, I see a whole pile of seed here that's going to be a problem later, but it'll kind of thin itself (laughs) naturally by just taking itself out. So you'll see some of the browning and mm-hmm. just some of the pythium stuff that has probably hit there a couple times. Yep. Yep. And this but, is a low um, area right here then? In this? Yeah, that was one where I just saw a whole pile of seed in one spot there that had washed and it had already started germinating. So I didn't really do anything about it because I was looking at it as and a good example for people to just say, don't throw down a whole bunch of seed in a pile and then later on say, oh, this doesn't look so good. Oh, uh. Man, I okay, yes, a hundred percent, and especially with ryegrass and water, I think that's one thing too that uh, people won't realize or maybe underestimate is you know how fickle it can be 
in terms of too much water or not enough water. And and that's why I think, you know, what what we're seeing, you know, with your lawn and what we've seen in the past has always been, you know, and you've talked about it. You've talked about how difficult it has been to learn water management, what really what really good um and well done water management looks like both in practice and just like kind of setting yourself up for it. So I think this is a good teaching tool to show people like, yeah, you just can't come on here and pound this with water. I think the other thing though is, um, you know, with, with ryegrass and pythium, uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, right next door to it. If there was, you know, a little bit like it even go, uh, hear me out for a second. Hear me out. Just get you like a cup cutter or two of like bluegrass and, tall fescue from down the plots and stick them up there right in that wet spot and just transplant them right next Mm -hmm. to this stuff. And I'll be interested to see differences because you know, you got pythium there. You already have the inoculum, right? We're doing, we're doing the disease triangle here right now. You know, you have to have a pathogen, a host in the favorable environment. So we already know that we have a susceptible host in ryegrass. We already know that we have a pathogen and pythium and we just need the right environmental conditions, which would be hot temperatures, water almost puddling on there if not puddled and uh the rest will take care of itself so it'd be interesting species dynamic things uh to look at so hey there's my there's my mr wizard trick of the day that's gold content right there baby yeah well and it's that i could do that definitely um it's been a challenge here at the beginning, just because of how new the yard was too, to be very considerate of water and not overdo it or not underdo it. And at the beginning of the, you know, uh, like I said, May there, when it was so dry, I was almost looking at things sometimes like, man, just watered yesterday, pretty decent amount, but I'm seeing almost, I'm letting things get to that just slight wilt point where I'm looking at things and I'm like, okay, I'm not going too far where anything's going to die, but I know that I'm on the level where I'm not overdoing it because you can pretty quickly, especially once I knew what was coming, you would say, okay, let's look ahead at the forecast a little bit too. And then I saw 90, 90, 91, and I saw a low of 68, 69. I'm like, okay, I don't want to go into that period and have everything all juiced up and be really, really you know, have the soil all wet and everything at that point, because then it's quickly going to get more humid and then you can't dry it out. So I've just been watching those things like a, you know, a nerd pretty much. Well, and that, yeah, I'd say that for the folks that are following along, like I actually had this conversation um, with a new client, you know, they were asking me about their football field and how much do they, how much should we water this? And, you know, this was one of those days um, last week, and I looked around and I, I was like, guys, listen, today it would be almost impossible with your system and the output that it has, which wasn't bad, just average, I would say, with what you have available to you, you probably couldn't water it enough right now. You know, so just go ahead and send it. We're gonna be fine. And they're like, Well, how do you, you know, how do you tell the difference between, you know, that kind of day versus a day where maybe you water just a little bit? And I said, going to make it real simple, right? You're the, what you're talking about is pretty advanced in terms of, you know, the, the retrospective of looking back, looking a few days ahead, all that kind of stuff. So I, I just made it real basic for them. I said, listen, 
if we have dew points, dew points, right? So take relative humidity out of it, which is influence, influencing dew point, all that kind of stuff. But dew points in the 40s, you could water it probably every day and be okay. You're not going to hurt anything. Just make sure you don't have puddles and it's, you know mushy soil, things like that. If your dew points are in the 50s, you can probably cut it back to three times a week, two times a week, something like that. And then uh, if you have dew points in the 60s, well, the closer we get to 70 is probably like, hey, just water what needs water if it's got dry soil, which you know mm-hmm. is, is probably unlikely to happen given the amount of humidity in the air. As you t- mentioned at the top of the show, how much humidity can be your friend. And um, if you're going to do a full field watering you know, or a whole lawn watering, maybe just one time. And I think that's the thing that gets lost on people. They get so worried, and, and that's the danger of looking at that forecast, RK. Not that you do this. I think you've learned this, but... I don't want people to look at this and say, well, it's going to be in the 90s. I've got a water. Well, Mm -hmm. 90 with a dew point of 65 is way different than 90 with a dew point of 45, right? And that that 20 degree swing in dew point is literally the difference between I can't water enough. And if I put an extra five minutes on this, Pythium is going to explode on my lawn and it could be ravaged and we're talking about a reseed. So... That is one quantifiable metric I think people could probably just look at and take into account and be like, okay, I'm going to keep my watch out. You know, if I've got low dew points, I'm going to look at soil moisture real close. And if I've got high dew points, I'm going to still look at soil moisture, but I'm looking for more of, you know, stress in the grass and even like the potential that there could be disease out there. Maybe there's some areas I need to avoid watering. Mm -hmm. So, yep. No, that's what I look at every day. I, I wake up, I look at the temperature, and then I go straight to the dew point. And I <laughs> see whether or not I'm going to have a good day or a bad day. And my wife is like, okay, it's it's not very humid out today. I better not talk to Ryan because he's going to go water his life away. And I can yeah. remember I had a boss a long time ago that, like in this real matter-of-fact tone, would say, if it's comfortable outside for you, it's uncomfortable for the grass. So you better get uncomfortable real quick. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Got it, sir. I'll go grab a hose. Damn right you will. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for that. And like last week, th- those are the those are honestly tougher. I'd rather, you know, be out there spraying all the fungicides in the world. Sorry, I'm sorry to our, all of our Sierra Club listeners. I, I apologize now, <laughs> but um, I'd rather do that in high dew you know high dew points and try to make it through that way. Uh, and manage water very carefully versus, you know, you're limited in these real dry times. RK, as you've seen, uh, it, you know, by the output of what your irrigation system could do. And I think you've learned that lesson, not the hard way, but just like the, the you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps or in this case by, you know, at first the generator that ran your well pump and, <laughs> yeah. you know, what you had to do to pull the the pull cord to start that thing. So. Yeah. In the beginning, I would say I was definitely guilty of what you said, you know, five, six years ago when I first, I think when it started was when I went to real mode stuff. And in my brain, everyone had just sort of told me, oh, well, if you got this low cut turf, then it obviously is going to need a a bunch more water. And so as soon as I saw a forecast that said 90, I just thought, oh, well, man, it's hot outside. I got this new lawn that I'm taking care of. I better start watering it more than I thought that I you know, whatever. And it did not work out well. I ended up with a lot of fungus problems. And it took me about a season or two to start to understand that. Again, like you said, 
studying more of the dew point side of it that, yeah, it's hot outside, but I didn't lose much on ET today. So adding a quarter of an inch even back into it when I didn't hardly lose anything might be too much. And so just, it really just takes some time and some learning of your property. But the other thing that I find interesting that my wife and I were talking about coming up is that this is the first time ever I'm going to have a cornfield right within about 10, 15 feet of my yard. And as we know, as we get into August or something here in the Midwest, if you've ever lived near a field or cornfield, those plants actually start to sweat water out and put moisture out. So I'm thinking here, it's going to be quite interesting in the middle of the summer once that gets to full maturity, that stagnant, humid, you know, 72 degree evening when there's no wind whatsoever, it's going to be something that I'm going to have to think about too. And I already told her I might be having to get an outdoor fan. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Uh, That's, uh, that's overkill, I think, but oh. it's overkill. But who are you, who are you talking to? Right I here? listen. I, even me, that. Listen. That, that's what I'm saying. Is for for the folks that are listening, and there are numerous folks that give me crap for being an enabler. But you know, we we've we've hit uh, peak turf cast here. As RD is like, that's it. I'm tapping out. I, I, I just, uh, I, I, you know, we were we were just at the auction, and I was like, I'm out. Uh, yeah. So you can actually, there's, uh, okay, I've gotten over that part. Now I'm going to enable. You can get some good deals on like a lot of used fans, especially this time of year, because what ends up happening, RK, is that a lot of uh, golf courses, particularly in the southeastern United States, they use these fans and they're actually super effective. Uh, We had, uh, let me go through the southeast. So there's a bunch of courses that are converting uh, their greens over to Bermuda grass greens from bent grass greens. And so you'll see like 20 of these things on sale at a time, or you can just go pick through and buy one or two. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, if you want to, the wiring is pretty simple. You have them on a timer. You can have them just on a simple on off switch and turn them on. But so the, for the folks that are wondering like, well, what the heck, you know, what do these do? So they move a tremendous amount of air across the surface. And so there's a cooling effect to a certain degree, but just literally the air movement. Um, you know, we had two of these at the uh, golf course I worked at uh, before I switched over to sports turf. And we, we didn't have them for the first, oh, let me think, probably six of the nine years that it was there. And it was very, very difficult to, to take care of those greens. It's completely surrounded by trees, right? Mm-hmm. And if you looked at surface temperatures, they were never that much different, uh, except for on humid days, like where the air just wasn't circulating, weren't getting any breeze or anything like that. So, um, you know, fast forward, we get the fans in, and those greens literally change from some of our worst to some of our best because they constantly have air movement across that surface, right? And that stagnant air is not sitting down. And even... uh, there's all kinds of research papers and things out there about like micro environments, like right at the surface and they call it the boundary layer. So if you want a deep dive uh, topic while you're, you know, uh, in the bathroom at work or something like that, you need something to read or you're looking to go to sleep a little bit faster, look up the boundary layer, just read about that in plants and just be in awe of how nature has sort of self-regulated this environment for itself to, you know, live and thrive in to the best of its ability. And then, you know, idiots like us go out there and start clipping it down to like, you know, 
half an inch or less or something like that and just try to make it really, yeah. really hard on ourselves and the grass too. So, Well, you remember on one of the earlier episodes when I told you back in my old place that I wouldn't park a vehicle in the driveway at the nighttime just, because from the one side to the other front yard, like it would block some of the airflow. So <laughs> that is what we're talking about here. I don't know if I remember if I recall that or not, but I am just so <laughs> in awe and um, proud and, and just, I don't know. There's very few people in the world that will get that and be like, that makes perfectly logical sense. And there's 99% of the, the American public that'd be like, this guy's crazy. He's absolutely oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've established that a long time ago. So now, as you said, just lean into it. You just got to own it and go all in. You do. You do. And I, I don't know. I think there's so many things when you start taking apart turf and, and how to take care of it and everything like that, that, again, we get so caught up in you know, products and everything like that. And yes, you do need products. There's basic, you know, everyday stuff that you need to have, but we get so caught up on all these other things. Um, and I think that's where, you know, some of that consternation comes from, from, um, people that are, you know, more experienced or the people that have, you know, seen, you know, some of those, those products come and go and they're back in like their second or third thing. Like that's, that's how I know that I've done this, for a long time again not like tooting my own horn or anything but like it's just like fashion right you see things that were in vogue a, a long time ago whatever that was you know 15 or 20 or 25 years ago and they've come back at least once maybe even sometimes twice and you're like well i remember when that faded out and you know completely crashed and burned last time what's different and yeah. you know you, you ask that to the people that are selling it and they're like um i don't know that's a good question <laughs> Well, yeah, because they weren't even there. Like they weren't even part of it. Uh, like, oh, uh, and that's yeah. like, that's like, shut up, old man. Just buy the product. It's good for you. Uh, yep. But now uh, that doesn't happen anyway. So, okay. So uh, real quick on the front lawn, jumping back there. How much in so far? Um, Let's see. I did <clears throat> two, let's see, two apps of equalizer. So that's about 0.2 and then one of about a half a pound of some granular. So we're about, I mean, 0.7 ish somewhere in there. Okay. Okay. And I'll probably be going back to another spoon feed very soon on it. it it's just starting to get past that. There's, you know, well, we were also in the spring, even though it was brand new grass, like it was in the weather when it was starting to grow a little bit more excessive than I wanted. But now today I mowed, and pretty much just got like one basket full of clippings by the time I got done with it. So I'm about at the target spot I'd like to be without going too much or too little. So everybody, yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing this like craze of people doing spring seedings of ryegrass next year. And <laughs> I just like handle with care, you know, I, I would, I would say that right now, like you're, you're the guy that uh, is doing like evil can evil stuff. You're jumping through fire rings on your way over a whole bunch of like beat up sedans and hopefully <laughs> you're going to make it to the other side. Uh, so everybody's going to be like, man, I'm going to go out and buy a motorbike. I'm going to do this. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that's, well, that's this is, breaks. this is the, what you need to understand for those of you listening. I, someone said to me last night on Instagram, when I posted the photo, 
They were like, I just don't have any, any idea how you do this. Like I did a spring seeding. It doesn't even look one tenth of as good as what you have. I said, well, I'm a professional grass sitter. It's called daycare for lawns. That was going to, so that, okay. So that would be a great qualifier for people. How many hours, if you just had to put it, how many hours do you think that you've spent doing anything associated with, and let's just take thinking out for a second. So these are direct on the lawn activities. Thinking would be a whole nother level of stress and anxiety inducing behaviors, which I'm sure there are many. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) But as you take a sip from your keystone and I, Uh from my commemorative eight and eight season Browns pup. Yeah. 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 We we got to have a commemorative mug for an eight and eight season. You have to, but anyway, how many hours would you just project out? Like it's been X number of weeks since I seeded and I spend 10 hours a week. I don't know, whatever it is. And just do that simple math real quick. Well, it's been six weeks, like just over six weeks. And I mean, I would probably say 10 hours a week. Sure. So could you imagine somebody (laughs) like that's the difference folks. That is the difference right there. I mean, it's also experience and everything like that. And I'm not saying this to boast and brag on Ryan. I'm saying this of like, uh, when you start comparing yourself to others, it rarely ends well. So just be Mm -hmm. careful, you know, as you compare, if you had that kind of time and if you had the experience and, and I've said this before, um, maybe on here, I know I have other places, but you know, uh, when you do this so often and you do it professionally and our, our K is, is doing this professionally, uh, you know, you're not buying just that experience and that knowledge. You're also buying all the failures and F ups that have occurred in whatever period that person has been employed. And so I, w- I think about that a lot more now that I, w- when I do what I do, right. That, you know, I go into a room for work and I'm supposed to be the smartest person about this subject. Right. And everybody mm-hmm. else just sits there and like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And sometimes they'll ask questions and they're good questions. And now in everyday life, when it comes to, you know, hiring a plumber or hiring, you know, whoever, it's like, all right, I'm going to sit in the dumb chair for a minute and I'll ask some questions if, just to help me understand a little bit better. But I'm going to find somebody who's really, really good at what they do and somebody who's gotten that way because they've also failed, you know, a, a, a fair amount. I, I need yep. that. I need that. Yep. So six weeks, I'm thoroughly impressed. Um, even if you're a man on the street and, and just saying, Hey, this is my lawn. <laughs> I'm not saying that folks just to, to build them up. So, well, and here's the thing, and I'm going to say this and it might sound crazy, but I look at every project that I do. I don't care whether it's at my house or wherever it might be for content or a video or something else. And I look at it as if, like you said, I expect that I'm a professional. I expect that I'm going to get professional results and I don't really stop until I get to where I meet my own expectations. Like some things are out of your control. Obviously we're we're talking, we've talked about this at the beginning of the season, like, okay, well you're going to do the spring seeding thing. It might go terribly. It might go fine. It like, there's some things that you can't control, but I just put in the time and the effort and continue to try to learn. And like you said, get more experience and more experience to where I don't treat it like I'm just growing in a lawn. I treat it like this, like someone was hiring me to do the project and it better turn out the way that they want it to turn out. That's just my mindset about it. So I think that also elevates some things because I just don't accept 
a level of, oh, it's just going to be okay. It's like, no, it needs to be better than that. Mm. And that's, I think that's also something that people should strive for. And as we've talked about a lot over the last three years, you know, you, you have to be really, really good at setting expectations. And I think that's one thing where folks get themselves in the most trouble. It's not, Hey, you bought the wrong product or you, you know, you got grifted by this person or uh, you did this at the wrong time. It's everything like that. It's all about, you know, just expectations. So, but uh, speaking of doing things, you know, that are avant-garde or different, it's not, this isn't like super avant-garde, I guess that's not like earth shattering stuff, but so tomorrow and Friday, a little bit Friday too. Uh, um, well, about to do. Uh, well, this be the second thing this week. Two things I've never done before. Oh man! <laughs> and this is something to pay attention to. Here, and we're going to find out how well it works. <laughs> I mean, I know it's going to work. Um, so, though, let's see. Let's talk about. Thing number one tomorrow. We'll go forward in history and then we'll we'll, we'll walk back forty eight hours. Okay, so thing number one is uh, we have a client that has a uh, it's one of the iron cutter fields, and they are actually going to switch it over to synthetic turf. Um, and right next door to it is a another stadium field, so they have kind of like an auxiliary stadium where they play. You know, uh, a lot of soccer games get played over there because it's a little bit different uh, setup, a little bit better for soccer. And uh, they play some other stuff over there too in the spring, like lacrosse and whatnot. Some other football games, JV, freshman, stuff like that. So we're going to take the Bermuda grass off with a combinator or a phrase mower, basically create our own sprigs, and then we're going to go out and put that onto the sand cap that we just built on this new field because it was an old... Uh, just cool season mix, 20 years old when the school got built, kind of poor grading. So we just had to regrade everything, some new irrigation heads and valves, nothing didn't change the layout. And then now going to put those sprigs over there. And so tomorrow uh, I've got to go out there and we're going to work with the contractor. We've got to figure out um, how deep we're going to, you know, put the, uh, the phrase mower because we need to take out enough sand to bulk the sprigs with so it'll go through a top dresser, right? So if we take out too little, it's not going to come out. It's just going to get all wadded up in the top dresser and not really go anywhere. If we take out too much, well, you know, it's going to beat the hell out of the machine. It's going to take a long, long time to harvest everything that we need. So um, that's going to be a learning curve. The next learning curve is calibrating our top dresser, essentially, because we know... on the sod farm, uh, it would be five square feet equals one bushel of sprigs. And typically we sprig at about 600 bushels to the acre out here. So basically in Bermuda terms, right? 3000 square feet, which is five square feet times 600 bushels, 3000 square feet of sod would sprig an entire acre. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely nuts. That's why we need to see if it works, RK, because you could sprig your whole, the rest of your property with like a truckload of sod, right? No big deal. Uh, So that whole process, that calibration process should be interesting because how evenly is it going to spread out? What's going to be, you know, sort of the, the end game of what it looks like up on top? And then can we get it dialed in? Is it going to be consistent from run to run, low to load of what we get? 
Um, and we've got pretty healthy Bermuda that we can, that we're pulling out of. So I think that part should go pretty well. And then finally, then we've got to get this stuff all like dressed in there the way we normally would. So we've got a couple of different roller options to choose from two different Calta packing rollers, two different smooth drum rollers, different widths, different, uh, weights, uh, all sorts of different things to kind of like Swiss army knife this thing together and it's going to work. It's just trying to find out what that happy medium is. Um, so yeah. And then we're going to grow in Bermuda and you know, the next, I think we've got, uh, 12, 12 or 13 weeks out there to get that thing all ship shaped. So plenty of time, uh, it'll go well as long as, you know, the, the heat comes and I, I don't yeah. know, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes with uh, with weather. We got plenty of water out there, no problems. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. RK, something new, something different. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for months and everything like that. And uh, it was funny. I was talking, uh, I was talking to somebody over there yesterday. And they're like, well, "How many times have you done it this way?" I was like, "Oh, this can be the first. And they're like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Are you sure it's going to work?" I said, "I've never done it before, but I know it'll. I know we'll be fine. Like, it'll." It's Bermuda. You can't really screw it up. So, yeah, RK, it'd be a fun one to to just have you sit around the campfire and you know watch it and add your input. So we, I know we were texting back and forth the other day. We'll have to. We've got to get you out yeah. here for a project someday and, and get it going. So I would, yeah, I would like to at least one moment in my life have some time during a growing year where I'm not like. Not I I just can't. Kels keeps telling me this. Why don't you just go somewhere? Like you need a little bit of a break. I'm like I don't have time for a break, especially now. I don't. I mean I've at least doubled, well more than doubled what I'm taking care of in a season and trying to make everything look good. I'm still currently dealing with the fact that my well is functioning great, but I don't have the relay switch in yet, which should be done soon. But so I'm turning it on mm. and off. You manually. are the relay. And I am the relay. I am the actual. So it's like a human cannonball going down the hill. Pretty much what it is. I just run down the driveway and (laughs) hand off the baton and say, "Go turn that damn thing on." Um, you know, you need a grass. You you said before you're a grass babysitter. We need to invent that as a profession. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, "Oh, that's like a lawn care guy," or landscape or something like that now i'm talking something more personal something more intimate you know like okay 30 years ago there was nobody that was a dog sitter like as a legitimate profession there was some just a few people out there you know on the fringe and now it's like a thing so how can we once i how can we get a grass sitter big golf thing area or like even the huge field seated and done and everything I've been toiling around with the idea, like maybe I just try to go to Iowa state and say, Hey, one of you who's going to do an internship somewhere at some course this year, or like whatever, like I have enough stuff going on and enough interesting things to probably learn with all the plots and all that stuff that it wouldn't be a bad idea to just try to get some intern to spend this, the year with me, like the summertime and just be like taking care of things. Heck Yeah. You pull a fifth wheel camper out there, park it in the driveway and say, Hey, listen, you got housing, you know, you got Keystone. Oh, like all the Keystone. Bob, can Keystone sponsor an internship? (laughs) Maybe. Once once I said Keystone, the college kids would be there anyway. They probably would be. They're yeah, they they they've all flocked to they've all flocked to the Keystone here recently. 
So, okay, that's that's thing number one is uh, homemade and not homemade sprigs. I mean, they're just they're being transplanted over. Uh, people are probably going to ask, hey, how come you didn't cut the sod out from one? There's there's enough out there that is kind of beat up from the spring that we would have had to like grow it in for the rest of the summer, you know, some patches and whatnot that it just wasn't a viable alternative. And honestly, um, I would prefer to sprig just in terms of, you know, getting the surface exactly how you want it. You don't have any imperfections mm-hmm. and, and everything works out well. So so we'll see how that all goes, RK. So, uh, you know, think happy thoughts tomorrow um, and we'll send pictures over that. So the second thing, thing number two, so this this sand cap system that we've been using now for the past, oh, what, four or five years and have sort of been perfecting, you know, certain parts of it of how to build it better and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So just to the latest iteration, and for the first time, we did this and did not use Bermuda grass. So we actually used uh, sand-based Kentucky bluegrass over top of this. So... Uh, I think it's less of a risk than Bermuda is because, you know, you're rolling the dice on Bermuda that, you know, the first year it's going to look bang and the second year, you know, you hope how much comes back and you right. know, deal with all those issues. But by and large, um, it's still a, a, a good safe choice, but with bluegrass and I know how you feel about bluegrass. I know ryegrass is always number one in your heart, but man, bluegrass to me, RK bluegrass is to me what ryegrass is to you. It just... Ah, I get it. I get it. Ah, it's it, it, you know that first roll went down, um, and I I, I got to tell you, RK, it was you know it was like seeing you know it, this is gonna sound corny and everybody can hate <laughs> me for it, but literally like you know um, the feeling you get when you watch your child get born. Maybe not as intense, maybe not as intense, but still the same feeling of look at that, you know it, it's it's all coming together right now. So, um. See, I feel like I look at bluegrass wrong and it just goes dormant. I just like, I look at my plots and I'm like, oh, here we go. There's some dry spots right there that weren't there 10 minutes ago after I just watered. Like, thank you, bluegrass. It's, it's a thing. I mean, you definitely can. I've got some, I've got some that after last week, uh, not on these fields here uh, and not really on any of our fields per se. This is, these are some other places, but got uh, some bluegrass that is definitely uh, last week was like, oh, Three tenths of an inch per day, et. Well, see you later. And yeah, bye. Gosh, like, oh, and you're just watching it happen. You're like, okay, well, irrigation's over there, and I need to irrigate everything in between here and there, and that's going to be another oh four hours and forty five minutes from now. Well, yeah, you know, so pulling hoses. The only nice thing about it is just how well it. You know, for the most part, unless you're running an army on it after, while it's all toasty like that. I mean, it's very, I remember being a kid now and not knowing anything about grass back then, but just how some of those really dry summers we would have. And my parents obviously had in Minnesota had bluegrass yeah. and they still do. And it would just be, you know, you walk out, just crunch, crunch <laughs> and just brown straw and, and lo and behold, that stuff will come right back. It's just... It's crazy. I, I can't remember where I saw it. It might have been a linked tweet or something like that. And um, they were they were looking at older varieties of blue. This was specifically for bluegrass. Uh, older varieties, and they were showing. We were talking before about ET, you know, evapotranspiration, and they showed an older variety that was like 
you know, uh, 10, maybe 15, 20 years old, something like that versus a newer variety and just showing, you know, one that had improved genetics and the difference between, okay, here they are side by side, both at 80% ET, right? So let's just say that we lost, you know, half of an inch in a day, which is unheard of here, more like desert Southwest type stuff. But let's just say we lost half an inch per day. You don't need to make up that whole half inch in one day to have good grass. In fact, the research tells us, and even in practice tells us that 80% should really be about your max. You could even go down to 50 or 60% and still have really, really good and dependable turf. But what this, this, this study or these uh, photos were showing was just the difference in genetics, you know, of how grasses and, and breeding programs have improved so much, you know, on that, uh, uh, drought tolerance, even on bluegrass, right? So, uh, of all the grasses, usually the quickest to just be like, like I said, just nope right out of there and be like, mm, yeah, I'll come back when I'm feeling it. But right now, guys, I'm not feeling it. I got to go. Mm-hmm. So that that's always a tough thing. But yeah, for an athletic field, uh, and, and even I don't know. Like I said, I think some low cut situations. Uh, I think it's really really good. I was having that conversation today too about mowing heights and things like that. And I could hear you in my head, you know, sitting on my shoulder, real mow it, do it. And I've, I've already convinced myself, you know, we're going to do that. This was mowed all spring long. This sod was at an inch and a quarter um, at the sod farm and came in just looking beautiful. I mean, right where you want it to be, probably mow it next week, um, raise the height up a little bit, just go at like an inch and a half and work it back down, top dress up here in a few weeks, all those kind of things. But Bottom line is this is like, you know, the, the, the folks there were asking me like, well, you know, don't you want to mow it higher? So there's more like leaf tissue and blades and it's like, it's softer to land on. And oh, RK, oh, that's one of those are that's <laughs> the softer to land on thing is, is almost as bad as my, what I would consider to be my cardinal sin and the car. Oh, this actually happened. I got, they got to do this a side story. So I go out to a facility. This is a couple of weeks ago. It was actually the last time we had rain. It was Saturday, May 20th. I can tell you exactly the date it was. Go out there and it's raining and we've got to get some work done in these fields. We've got to paint them and, and kind of get them ready for games later that day. But you can't paint in the rain. So I go out there and I'm talking to uh, the guy who's going to paint for us. And I'm looking around. It's raining. I mean, I'm out there. I'm standing with my raincoat on in the rain. We're walking around the fields, and and he says, yeah, you know, my weather app says uh, it should be clearing up here in a minute because at 10 o'clock, you know, the rain chance goes down to like 30%, and it's like 949. I look down at my phone. I'm like, bro, here's the radar. Like, just get rid of the, the percentage on your oh, phone, yes. the chance of rain thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a 60% chance at one. Drives me crazy. And a 70% yeah. chance at two, and then it's all the way up to 93. Okay, Ted, we're going to look at the radar right now. It's 1230. The rain's eight miles away. I don't care what your weather app says. All right. Let's yep. use common sense in this situation. Gray clouds, red on the radar. Not good. We get a GTFO right now. Number two to add to that, though, is the future radar. The people that uh, just look at the... So it's like, okay, right here, the radar is... We see the we see this line going right here. And then they look and say, like, forward, forward, forward. Well, it says at 4 p.m., this future radar is showing that it's going to hit me. And I'm like, I wouldn't throw that in the trash because it's hardly ever right. <laughs> and especially the timing. Like, let's look at what's happening right now. I like how on the, 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 so the future radar, there are some that I'll use just to kind of give me an idea and a trend of what things might look like. 
But like, I love the ones on the news channels here because it just looks like this big amorphous blob of red, yellow, magenta, and green. And they just kind of like change it. And doesn't just like stay the same where it's like, okay, this line right here is just going to get destroyed, you know, you mm-hmm. know, from, you know, Des Moines out to the border wrecked done. You guys yeah. can just pack it up for the day. No picnics, <laughs> nothing like that. You're not going outside. It's going to rain all damn day. Um, maybe, maybe we could do that. Maybe we could have some heart to heart with with the weather forecasting folks and also the people that consume weather forecasting. That's probably more who we need to have intervention with. But please do not tell me what your weather app says for a percentage chance on the hour without yeah. looking at the sky and looking at the radar. Um, that's 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 all I have to say about that. But definitely, but and, I didn't know you felt so strongly about it, but I, I do as well, because I'll just, <laughs> I'll hear that. Like you'll see, even see someone at a store or something, it's like raining outside and they'll be like, well, my weather, it says right now that it's only like a 20% chance. Like, why would it be raining? Like, well, <laughs> that and the other, fi- other side of me, the, the, uh, anxiety ridden side of me thinks about like what it was like a hundred years ago. We were like, I'm going to wake up today and I don't know what's going to do out there. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to do tomorrow. You know, like that, that to me living in that fashion just blows my mind. Um, Especially because of the farming aspect. I mean, knowing where we, the Midwest, where we come from and you're just looking outside at the like, well, it's a few clouds today. I hope it rains. But other than that, I got no freaking idea what's going to happen. So, well, yeah, that's, that, that would be a whole conversation to have. That's gosh. Now I'm going to have to, dive into that historical I, i've always looked into historical weather stuff like that like of forecasting um methods and things like that but i understand how it impacts real life now anyway but i guess so yeah so bluegrass out there uh a really interesting project too because we've got bluegrass sand-based bluegrass on sand we've got uh native soil bluegrass sod on native soil and then we have seeded bluegrass on native soil so three different fields out there three different establishment methods sort of i guess in a sense or you know two different medias two different establishment methods and some of those are crossed up so yeah that uh that should be interesting um to get it through because we've not like i said we've not done one of those sand caps yet without the uh without the bermuda so we're straying far from home rk we're actually we're getting closer to home because you know, we're using cool season grasses and cool season country. So well, I'm can sh- you also tell everyone how many square feet that sand, uh, the project that you're working on with the sod on the sand, uh, on the sand cap, that's ni- 95,000 and some change square feet. <laughs> and then there's 75,000 square feet of the other, uh, native soil sod. And then, 72 3000 of seed and then there's just you know common area seed just tall fescue yeah. around the field. So it's no big you know no big deal just uh you know small I, small little project to work on. I I don't know like I like the the I like the ones that are bigger in scale just from the sense that uh you know a lawn I feel like I'd be like rubbing up against you know flower beds and there's all these constraints and everything like that like the only thing I got to worry about here is like the track and like a tree line on the practice field and like yeah. we're, we're all gravy baby like we can no i get it but i look at that and i just the vast amount of that now that i know you know having the space that i do out here and, nah, I, that's I, true. and I say okay from my house if i were to lay sod from here to the road 
And we were just doing this whole project today. I'm like, yeah, that's. So is it the work it in, that in the time sense or is it the cost or like what, what freaks you out the most? Let me ask well, that. You know how I am about looking over details of things. So I just think the management after that, I would get very obsessed with all these little things and little spots. And, but I have so many of them to deal with now, instead of just having a more compressed area to look at instead of, you know, that that's where I think I would be. I don't think the actual, I mean, yeah, the work of it is, is there, but you guys have the machinery to kind of get the the stuff laid out and the manpower and all that stuff. So I don't think it would be that as much as the, the management side going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the little areas and the things you talk about, like, a lot of that in your case could be mitigated because you don't have a lot of those like weird transitions or, you know, you're grading down to something that fall, you know, is, is finally an outfall in our case, mm-hmm. you know, we've got some catch basins and things out there on the field to tie into. But um, yeah, I think you, you would enjoy it once you got used to it. I think if you did like yeah. one or two, bigger scale projects like that you 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 would love it because i'll tell you here's why you'd love it okay one whether you uh, admit it or not you are a problem solving junkie you have a serious problem with being a problem solver probably i do too i i that's one of the reasons i like these projects of this scale is because in the design phase and the construction phase and the growing phase and even the management phase there's a lot of stuff to figure out and there's no like playbook that you can just go say, hey, I'm going to go to athleticfieldlawnacademy.com and buy a $200 course and just figure out how to do all this stuff. It doesn't happen, right? So, you know, you have to have a sense of, just like we talked about failure, success, all those things and build off of there. But, uh, yeah, it's so much, and it's all little stuff too. It's stuff that you don't even think about. That's not even grass related. Half of it's not even grass. Again, like this one here, um, they're doing the stadium. They're they're uh, doing the stadium field, and they as they're excavating the exit pipe for the drainage, they cut right through the main power line that <sighs> was incorrectly marked by the uh, utility locating contractor, Ooh. and so they cut off all the power to our irrigation controller. So the irrigation controller was then run by our generator. Our generator it can run for. It's got to be a pure sine wave generator, right? So you can't just go down to like Sunbelt and rent a generator and, and have it work. It's got to be a pure sine wave generator because the clock has to modulate 110 volt power down to 24 volts to send it out on the wire. And if there's any interruption in how clean that power is, you know, going from the top of the sine wave to the bottom, lights out, it doesn't work. Or it sits there and pulses your zones and all this other weird mm-hmm. stuff. So ran this, you know, with the two practice fields at first for six weeks like that you know so you have to go out there just like you rk it was it yep. was it was very much like what you had to do you so, are the relay you are <laughs> you are the you're the gas man is what you are it's a full yeah. service station over there so yeah it uh just little things like that and then um i'll tell i'll give you an example okay so today this is this is a moment of uh pure humility and uh, I'm sure Matt who works with me will listen to this and probably shake his head and say yes. Cause he sort of brought it up and I was like, I had to agree with him. So we were sitting there fussing over our, uh, our pre-plant strategy. Normally on a, on a soil based field, we'd take starter fertilizer and just apply it right over top of our, our soil and sod right over top of that. People will probably freak out and be like, you can't do that. You can, it works fine. We do it all the time. Works great. Okay. 
So in this case, with sand, it moves way too much. Like you have to do too much to manipulate and keep it smoothed out because you're running in different equipment to bring your sod rolls out, all this stuff, and you have to continually be smoothing right out in front of the sod layer. So we're like, well, we can't pre-plant anything with furt on it right away. We're going to have to go over the top with it. So then we're thinking, oh, man, like uh, it's going to be, you know, this real low-cut sod. It's an inch and a quarter. You know, we don't want to take like 200 SGN fertilizer, you know, big, uh, big prills mm-hmm. out there and just start spreading into that and not be able to water it in enough quick enough, you know, on top and have that turf stress out or whatever. So we come up with the idea, well, hey, we're going to use uh, Anderson's makes a, what's called a Contec, C-O-N-T-E-C prill. And if for those of you that are familiar, uh, the prills come in various sizes all the way down to like almost dust, which is like 75 SGN up to about 150 yep. SGN. <clears throat> 75 is what we're using on the uh, greener G and it's like, it is like dust. That's, so that's what we ended up getting. That's the, the <laughs> yeah. only starter they had available in stock at our supplier today was 75 SGN. So we get out there and RK, it was like a Des Moines Sunday out here. It was <laughs> breezy. It wasn't windy, but it was just breezy enough to piss you off where you're oh, like, yeah. oh, I got to wait out a breeze. I got to do that. So uh, we were kind of wrapping up and, and Matt and I are very similar in the sense that, you know, we think all the, try to think through all the details, make sure we've at least talked about it. Right. And He's a good thought partner like that of, of, of talking through stuff and everything. And then uh, he pulled me aside and he says, I think we got a little too cute on this one. This is, this is a little sketch, you know, and it wasn't like it was a bad app or we're streaking anything or anything like that, but it was just like, it took way longer than it should have. Like we probably could have just taken 200 SGN blown right through it, watered the piss out of it and been done with it. And mm-hmm. I like, he said that and it like occurred to me, I was like, yeah, like, it probably was a little too cute. Try to, you know, try to get a little too full of ourselves and overthink it. So even that stuff, RK, like, you know, um, you kick yourself. There was another thing and I can't even think what it was today. And I, I thought of you when uh, he and I were talking about it, but it was, it was essentially like the, those moments where you think, Oh, we should have done that. If we would have done this one thing, it would have made the project that much easier. And you're not happy because you're thinking about it for the future, like, Oh, Hey, oh, that's cool. I'll just use it in a future product. You're kicking yourself because why didn't I think of this like six weeks ago or six months ago? Yeah. You're such an idiot. Like, and I, I'm not like <laughs> no negative self-talk. So people that are like, you know, we're it's just, I don't know. There's a, there is a inherent difference in this particular discipline and this particular process for us that we do this. And other people might do it with painting. Other people might do it with, you know, music or tort law or being the fry guy at McDonald's. Okay. Somebody might want to put <laughs> the perfect amount of salt on those fries or else it's just, like, you know, I ruined it. You know, yeah, I got three baskets down. I got three more opportunities, but you know what? Those six people there that just got those super size. I just ruined their day. How could I? Well, that that's the thing that it comes back to for me is I wish it was only this aspect of my life, but as you can probably <laughs> tell, it's not just this aspect. <laughs> okay. So that's where you and I are different because all our aspects of my life, I, I've, uh, I'm a very compartmentalized person and uh, I've, I've learned to appreciate other things besides grass. That may be even my problem is I focus too much on that uh, over the years, but I will say that uh there's not much else save for family that I obsess over nearly as much. Everything else in my life, I kind of like, you know, 
you could show me, you know, uh, 10 different songs. I'd be like, yeah, they're all pretty good. Like let's, let's listen to all of them, you know, or whatever the case might be. I'm, I'm oh. way more late, easy going. But if you're like, Hey, um, what kind of grass seed do you want? I'd be like, well, what species should we go with? What cultivar? You know, what location are you in? Oh, you're soil type man. All that kind of stuff. See, it's pretty cool that you can turn that off because I, I feel like that's sort of a rare thing for some people who have such a detailed, uh, work life like you do that requires that. Like you have to be on top of all the different aspects of things. You have to, you know, have everything, all your ducks in a row. And then the rest of your life, you're just like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. That is not me. You want to know the hardest thing I'm going to do this week. I'm doing these two new things, all this other stuff, these big projects, the most difficult thing that I'm going to do this week. RK, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I've been told, uh, it is a mandatory requirement for me to go on Friday afternoon to go couch shopping with my wife, with Mrs. DeMay. <laughs> I am so afraid of this because I'm going to get in there and she's going to be like, what do you think of this one? This one, this one. I'm going to be like, they all look good to me. Like they feel fine. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, you know, uh, what do you want me to tell you? She's, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of stress placed on me to pick the couch that I want. And it's not only that, I like I I, I kind of like them all. Whatever. It's also the fact that what if I do pick the wrong one, RK? What if I make a mistake and then you know I I look back two years from now and have all this you know buyer's remorse that man I should have bought the blue one. You know, it's like 2027. I'm sitting there watching a Browns game. They're down 34 nothing. I'm really like I'm just the, down the dumps and I'm like we should have bought that blue couch back in 23. Damn it. You're living my exact life that you should have, <laughs> should have, would have. Is uh, well with grass. Yeah, I guess you can't you can't spray out the couch with gly and, and regrow it. No, you know, from seed. No. That's the only problem. The couches are expensive, but I, I I don't know. So anyhow, that's my week in a nutshell. Two brand new things, and um, literally the most stressful thing for me will be furniture shopping on Friday, which. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I need to do this too because I still don't. Uh, we still don't have any uh, living room furniture in our in our new place down here. So Kelsey usually, a lot of times, you know, after we eat supper or something, she'll just be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go sit on the couch," and then she just goes and sits on the floor with the dogs. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't know if that's a sign as if it's my fault we don't have one or what. Yes, it is, that's the answer. Is is that uh, that is. Uh, that is definitely uh, a more aggressive, passive comment rather than a passive aggressive comment. I would say, so yeah, yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, okay, shifting gears here for for one more second. Uh, on the uh, project front, you you so it's not if this is really a project; it's more maintenance. But you mowed down the brome. Mm-hmm. I want to hear. And I also want to hear how it's been informed and what you've studied, researched, everything, because I'm always going to need a few minutes of brome talk in these because <laughs> I need to understand it. And you're like my, my window to the world of brome. And I, I, I just want to understand it more. Like I understand how to manage native grasses, but I feel like this is a little bit different in some respects. And I also want, I, I thought about this uh, a couple weeks ago I was driving and I saw uh I saw what looked like someone. I was driving too fast. I couldn't like turn around and tell, but uh, it made me think like, who is like the leading expert in the world? Like who is the guy? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to find too. <laughs> All right. I will, I will ask some people 
that might not know directly, but it might turn into like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And we'll find him and we'll get him on the show because I seriously, we could probably talk to him for a couple hours and share some stones with him. But all right. So your bro management strategy, what have you learned and where, where are we going with it this year? What's, what's, okay. what's the goal? So I failed at a couple of things. One, I have not gotten, we're already almost probably past the huge growth window in terms of. Mm-hmm. You know, it has that early spring flush, just like the rest of our grasses because of it being a cool season. By the time we get to July, August ish, it's probably getting pretty brown and about ready to check out for the year. So I didn't get any PGR put down on anything because I didn't have my sprayer figured out yet. So I failed, which I'm very disappointed in myself about that part, which I need to fix for next year, but I will have that fixed for next year. <laughs> the, the thing that I have been doing though is the test area. Because I did some research, as you know, more nerding out, I started to think about why couldn't this be a viable option for an acreage lawn instead of just calling it a forage grass or something that is just for animals? Like, why can't we consider it something else? So I did some research. The only thing that I saw in a few different places was that we can't consider this a turf because it doesn't have enough density to it to be too... That's just what it said. Now, I disagree because, and maybe it's because my stuff is so established and I don't know how long it's been there, but obviously this was cattle ground for many, many years. So it's been there for quite some time, but I'm planning now to do a test plot this fall of some brand new stuff so I can get a look at it at, you know, not something that's super established. Okay. So... The other thing that I've been learning about it is that, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have necessarily that same density of turf, but when I mow it, and I'll show you a couple of things here, if I can find some photos, some of our trails that I've just decided to use the zero turn on, and it honestly looks very, very clean. If you get right up over top of it, you can see that it's not as thick as maybe a Kentucky 31 lawn would be, but it has a very similar look. Mm-hmm. And yet to me, it just keeps whatever you throw at it. It doesn't seem to matter. Like it's like I drive on these things with our UTV with the trails. I do. I mowed it down. I scalped it off, let it come back. Doesn't care. I let it, you know, I've started mowing a few areas at four or five inches, actually get some stripes out of it. <laughs> oh my <And> God. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking, I'm like, so can it out. get, can it get more dense? Like if you do mow it? Well, it- that's what I'm saying. Cause the area that I, that I scalped off this year and then let it come back, right. it still has a lot of older material. I really should have burned it off. Like did like a prescribed burn on that and let all the dead stuff underneath just go away. So I'm probably going to do that next year. But to me, because of how aggressively from the research that I read, you know, like it's obviously an invasive grass. That's why the prairies and everything were completely covered with it. But for somebody who I I look around now and I look at a lot of these acreages around me and I think I see these people who have three, four acres of lawn that they just, you can tell they hate mowing. Like they don't have a yard that's pristine that you can tell they're just like, this is a chore that I absolutely loathe. I'm like, why are you doing this? To be honest, like, why don't you have something like that, that you just let go to three, four feet tall in a lot of spaces that you just don't mow all the time. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So that's what I've been thinking about with it and trying to learn some more. And like you said, we need the Brome person to come on the show. 
I'm all for it. If we can find this individual, uh, it, then I agree. I think there's uh, people are really focused on low input systems, pollinator yards, like all this stuff and even low input turf, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of work in that. And I don't know that there's a one size fits all approach. I think that there's like all this disparate study of these different ways of doing it. And I think it would be better to, to do them side by side in the same environment to understand, okay, how does this look? And, and that, that's the other part, right? Is like, I think from a research perspective, there's a whole, uh, sociological component, right? That, that gets missed, right? Okay. Yeah. Pollinator garden sounds great. You could put that into 10 people's yard and I bet you, I don't know, RK, this isn't research. I can just make up numbers, but I would bet you that eight out of 10 people would be like, Nope, don't like this. This is terrible. Love the idea. Love saying I've got a pollinator lawn, but I don't like it. And uh, to be fair, I'm not against them. I'm not taking a stand. I'm just saying that there's these, sociological pieces so on the brome grass are there uh, there's got to be other people that like it right yeah well and what i'm what i think and i'm not saying i'm the first one to discover this no but there's probably not a lot of folks who have been out there mowing some test areas with a zero turn and doing things to try to make it look like turf and see how close can we get it i mean you know me I'm thinking about things that most people would never pay attention to, but I just, I think it's an interesting thing because of all this talk, like you said, of sustainable things and what can we do in the future that I'm, I'm with you. This, the whole no mo may thing has got me thinking about a whole lot of things because yeah, it's just, it's got, it's on my mind. And now that I have so much space out here, there's no mo all year. Mm-hmm. Not just May, but like all year. I mean, we're looking at so many invasive plants, so many things that sounds great on the surface, but at the same time, you will end up with nothing there over time, but things that aren't actually going to benefit you. Other problem is like, this is tick central. So I mow my trails, but Kelsey takes the dogs out there a couple weeks ago. No joke. They were out just... One of the grass trails, it's all mowed down. It's not high grass or anything like that. Came back 30 ticks wow. between her and three dogs. Wow. So it's like, if you think you can just let everything go in your front yard, like I don't care if even if it's an urban environment, like you're going to start to have some issues too that people don't really consider. It just sounds good on the surface. Like, oh, let's just do this for what it is, but... And I think that's the thing is like you, if somebody was going to go down that route of a a non-traditional, we'll just call it that, right? A non-traditional lawn and all of the, please, if the Sierra Code people are listening, I'm sorry, I'm not disparaging you that you're not uh, just, okay. I have some good info on this too from my micro clover. So don't let me forget to talk about that. I do want to hear about that for sure. I do think that's a viable option too, is a non-traditional lawn. So Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I think, that's something that if we could have better demonstration plots, like I've talked about this with the folks at Ohio state specifically, because they've got like a, uh, the extension office here 
is on the campus and it's on like this this area that's a farm it's a working farm that they they do use for school of agriculture and all that kind of stuff and uh there's like i don't know 50 or 60,000 people that flow through this building in a year for tours, field trips, classes, things like that and i've i've said that for a number of years now going back saying like if you want to have people adopt these practices don't just talk about them, show them, right? And show them all year round and show them in, in the best of times and the worst of times and let people, you know, understand what they're getting themselves into. And I think that's where uh, there's, there's got to be a better reach for our, you know, the industry in general, but also for uh, the non-traditional stuff, because I do think it can work. And then your, your point was sociological in nature. That's how this whole conversation started, right? What about the people that are like, I hate this that look at people like you and me, RK, and we're like, those guys are weird. Uh-huh. Those guys are strange. And yes, we are. That's the point, though. But I, yeah. I, I, I digress there. So anyhow, the sociological impact, I, I, how... Let me hear about the micro clover, and okay, I'm gonna, I want to hear about it, and then I want to hear the sales pitch for micro clover. Who is the ideal micro clover end user owner person thing. Okay. One of the things that I think has surprised me so far the most is that in the springtime, I didn't do it. So obviously here I was going off of a no fertilizer. I'm trying to put it in my mind. Like, okay, if someone wants this yard, they're obviously thinking to themselves, like, I don't want any inputs on it. I don't want to do anything to it other than I just may need to mow it when I may need to mow it. So I was going off of that sort of mindset first. And I've gotten a lot of questions about, well, what about other weed control in there? Like, what if there's other weeds? And I'm thinking to myself, if you're growing a micro clover lawn, I don't think you care about a couple of dandelions or something else yeah. and selectively controlling these. Like, you're not caring. So there was that part of it, but it was growing so aggressively in the springtime that, I mean, it got away from me a couple of times where I was mowing my other turf, mowing my other turf, not really paying attention to it. And all of a sudden it's seven inches tall. Hmm. And so it surprised me the growth of it. That was one. And then, so I'm thinking to myself, well, if you were having this as your yard, would you let it go to like, would you keep letting it go? Because if you were to do what you want to do with, bringing in the bees and doing all that stuff, you're going to have a very unkept look in terms of if you wanted to do this in an urban area and had any sort of HOAs, I think they would make you make it look a little bit better. Um, But the second thing there is, so I've started mowing it more frequently. I got it down to two and a half inches now and I've been consistently leaving it there, but it surprises me how much it does grow and how much I do need to mow it. So I don't think that that part I think maybe, I don't know, this is just me, but maybe I thought in my mind that people would say, oh, this is going to be so low maintenance that I only have to mow it a few times a year and that's good. And that's not what I found so far. The second thing mm-hmm. is that I just saw something, it's a video on Instagram or something and the title said, I regret my micro clover lawn. So of course I watched oh, it boy. and this lady said, you know, we planted this out front of our house. She lived in a rural area and She's like, I have kids. And over the winter time, I didn't realize how fragile it was going to be. Like it got a little muddy and the kids were out playing. And all of a sudden I looked and, and she showed a picture of it. And it's just patches of little clover here and there and then a mud pit. 
And that was the other thing that I have noticed personally is that it is pretty fragile overall. So if I were going to put a whole bunch of traffic on it, I don't think it would long-term do very well in that scenario either. So, and she showed that of course she was going to other alternatives. Like she's like, well, I want to plant yarrow, Uh. which is extremely invasive. It can have like your kids can touch it and have skin reactions and things. I was like, I don't, whatever. I don't know what she's doing here, but so overall the sales pitch, I guess is, I don't, I don't know if, if I see a benefit to that over just plant some tall fescue and it doesn't need that much water. It doesn't need a whole lot of things to just be there as a, as a ground cover that I, I don't see a reason to go after something just because, but there's so many people that right now that are just, you say the word lawn, you say the word grass and it doesn't matter in their mind, not happening. I want it gone. It's like, well, let's look at the, let's look at some common sense things here and say, you don't have to water this. You, like you don't have to do, a, it, it just, it baffles me because it's become such a thing that people just all of a sudden don't use their brain anymore. And they just see something that says, let's get rid of all this turf. Mm-hmm. And, right. I mean, well, that's and, where we're at in a lot of situations. But I think the, the, that flip, I, I really do. And this isn't just because of, let's take, all the other things off the table of, of, of chemicals and, you know, water usage, all the things that people would point and say, how oh, turf's bad because X, Y, and Z, right? Uh-huh. I think that it would flip because of quality of life issues that people that don't know what they're getting into, like this woman, good example, right? That, hey, I have snakes in my front yard now and, and, or I have an, you know abnormally high tick population, things like that. So the other part that, that you mentioned was like HOAs. Like there's a whole, you know, um, a whole bunch of you know codified ordinances in in not only HOAs but in cities and towns across the country that would prohibit this stuff. So this is more of like a you know rural type of approach, I think, and that's probably for the better. That that you know the city folks don't have as many options, unfortunately, just because of the way the laws are written. But I don't know. Are we talking ourselves into doing a non-traditional lawn just to mess around and and find out? (laughs) Okay. Like, is that what we're doing? Am I I going to do a brown sports field? Hey, I don't know. It could happen in the future. (laughs) We we don't know. You and I could just be all of a sudden we could get our doctorate. I, I, I was planning on ryegrass, but maybe we should just move ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm looking right now at like brome seed and all this other stuff. I'm thinking about plant. Uh, there's um, there's areas I can think of on some of the properties that we that we you know help out with and consult on from a, a maintenance standpoint that that I could see something like this where I see them mowing you know just like acres and acres of like out areas. So like. I can think of a yeah, couple of school districts. It doesn't make sense. It, it does. Yeah, it's like, okay, you're mowing 55 acres, but why are you mowing, you know, a one acre field behind the baseball and softball field that touch up against, like, like you said, like a corn field or a soybean field or something like that? Like, who cares? Well, that's just what we've always done. Mm-hmm. Those are good decisions, right? And those are decisions I could get behind in terms of, you know, turf reduction and establishing native areas and things like that. So I don't know. There's, uh, there's something there, but the uh, brome expert—that's what we—that's <laughs> what we need to find. 
because yeah, we do. Whoever you are, <laughs> sir or madam, you're a legend to us already. We can't wait. Can't wait to talk to you. We just have to dig a little bit. I'm sure that there's. Oh, I mean, it's, I've already it's started going through. The, I've already started yeah, going through research papers. The agriculture world, most likely, but we can just get them on and say, "Hey, we have an idea. I'd like to take this to the turf world and see what we can do with it." And somebody's going to be as crazy as us. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> oh, there has to be somebody out there. there. There's probably a whole subreddit or uh, newsletter community or something like that. So we shall find it. But on the turf front, on the on on the grass and, and lawns front, you know. Um, Something else that I think we're all espousing, and we always say uh, real quick on on the turf tip thing is, uh, number one, this is about the time of year that uh, we do have active crabgrass germinating, and if you are in uh, Team No Pre, like uh, RK and I are here, it's time to start thinking about spraying that post-emergent crabgrass control. So uh, get yourself ready and be looking, uh, look for opportune times. And remember that on those labels, specifically if you're going to use Queen Clorac as one, as your single or uh, as a cocktail, that uh, it it really does make a difference on on control. No mowing two days before, no mowing two days after. It's literally the, the, uh, the kryptonite of herbicides for RK because when you tell him no mowing for four days, well, he's mostly curled up in the fetal position crying uh, for the majority of those 96 hours, but he gets right back after it uh, as soon as he can. But seriously. I did, I did have really good results with my Quinclorac app on that uh, early stuff that was coming up in the front. And I may have pushed the boundary a bit on the 28 days. I don't remember exactly if it was, you know, 28 days from germination when... That's what the label says yeah, as far as a new grass, but I may have pushed it a little and I didn't see any problems with it, but I'm not uh, recommending you do that. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think any of those, any of those recommendations um, are more of a CYA thing. And uh, I, I've seen some efficacy trials done uh, here at Ohio state over the years where they, they, they sprayed at different intervals that were off label more so just to test the safety of, herbicides with new seedlings and things like that and see if there was any impact or attrition losses, things like that, that may have uh, adversely affected. The only one that I can remember off the top of my head that was particularly uh, harmful was, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting one uh, because the, these issues can't happen, especially on the spring seeding, but was uh hail of self you're on, which is sedgehammer. Okay. So, you're doing a new seeding, you're pounding water, especially if you're doing a spring seeding. Sedge very well could pop up and we could have some sedge issues. So a lot of people reach for that bottle of sedge hammer and uh, I've even had to walk myself off the cliff and use something different because your other option is a little bit hot and uh, still venture zone. It may not be the best thing to spray on uh, new seedlings either. So you got to be careful in Speaking of nutsedge, oh. there's one interesting thing happening out in the front yard is there's just a tiny patch, maybe five by five, that has 10 plants of nutsedge in there. But I noticed that when I put down that starter fertilizer, it was one that has the tenacity ingredient in yep. there. 
it didn't seem to touch any of that young crab. Like it was coming up. I didn't notice anything in terms of any plants looking bleached or anything like that. So I sprayed. But now we're weeks, you know, we're at six weeks now. And these nutsedge plants that have come up are all bleached and turning white. Mm. So it's been kind of interesting that it wasn't affecting some of the other stuff. And then yet this, it doesn't seem though like it's really killing it. It's just kind of maybe dinging it a little bit to where it's not as aggressive. No, that might be a case then. You could probably argue and say at that point that sulfentrazone or... um, would be your best option to come back over the top and, and use that to kind of clean it up. Uh, I don't know that you would have a lot of success going out there with Sedgehammer and trying to use more of a systemic product because that foliage is already damaged. It's kind of on, on the rope. So get to dismiss and finish it off. RK <laughs> do it. It'll feel good. Yeah, I could probably do that. I did just spray some more in some of the other areas where the crabgrass is, a little farther along than it was in the front yard. I sprayed a couple of those areas a couple just a few days ago here to see if I can get some of that. I haven't been babying some of the other projects from spring, so they don't look terrible, but they definitely don't look like the front. I'm looking forward to the fall time and getting that aerator that I that I bought, getting some time in on Let's that. Let's go. And yeah. That'll um, be good content too. I definitely did try a couple of spots, not with the aerator, but I did pull a few plugs from the front and then let them dry out slightly and sort of did a mock, like, can I break these up and use them as top dressing? And it's looking promising. So that has me excited. Now, I think that's that'll be a clutch thing all the way around. I know we talked about it before, but that soil lends itself exceedingly well to, to doing that and saving boatloads boatloads of money and you know what you'll never have to have that uncomfortable conversation with the guy behind the counter that tells you well we only have your typical sand yeah that guy i mean i'm not gonna rule rule it out completely you know because who knows but that would be nice if i could realize what i have there and you got a beautiful piece of property okay the only thing i think you messed up on is you didn't buy one right next to a sand quarry well that's yet to be arranged. <laughs> I mean, what we were talking about last show, I'm going to remove the hill, start selling topsoil. We're going to be doing that. I could just buy another property next to a sand. Yeah, why not? It's uh, it's all good. Just get the farm next to you. Start stripping out the topsoil. The rest will be taken care of. You'll be a, be a land baron and be selling uh, materials of all sorts, you know, rocks, everything like that, sand, Topsoil, you'll be just one of those guys. Yeah, probably. Mm. So there's two other things okay. that I want to get to tonight Ooh. before we... Let's do it. Sounds like you have something maybe otherwise, but No, one, no, no. I, go ahead. Bermuda. So I'm, I've killed off my plot. It's... You can't see me uh, fist pumping, see. but I am. 25 by 25. So it gives us a, gives us a good little area there. Mm-hmm. And we just need to... Did you figure out how I'm getting this stuff over to the old Westbury? All right. So well, that's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then the second one, what was I, what other thing was I going to ask you about? Darn it. Oh, yeah. We need to, now that I have taken down the cereal rye, I'm getting very serious since it's June 7th and you know, I'm thinking about fall already. But, <laughs> uh, getting ready the to find out crippling. this whole 
golf area thing out front. So we do, I, I think I mentioned this last show, but I would like to see if you and I can put our brains together and come up with a interesting first draft design on that little course thing. So that's something to just put in your brain, not anything to really discuss tonight, but how, just to keep on the... How much of Ben Sims content have you watched? Oh, I watched quite a bit. <laughs> I've been it's, talking to Ben. You know. it's, I mean, his stuff, it, 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 obviously he's had some challenges here and there, and that's going to happen when you're you know, kind of doing it mostly yourself. But man, does it look good. Like, oh, he, yes. It he, looks really I told good. him that. I was like, this is amazing. You've done <laughs> amazing. So, so let me ask you that based on that. And, and I've watched that content with Westbury in the back of my brain too. Does that, is that the, an expectation setting? Is that the level that we're going for? No, I don't think I'm going to go to that level with the, the starting, like the green. I don't think I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to utilize after we send in my soil to the nerd soil test. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to utilize maybe more of a native yeah. thing to start and okay. see what happens with it. And then, cause I talked to him about that too. And you know, his soil over there is very rocky. There's a lot of, well, as you've seen, if you watch any, I think the latest video is trying to start on his fairway and there's just like yeah. boulders that he's pulling out mm-hmm. and, I don't have that problem, luckily. So I'd like to utilize more of of what I have to, and try to show people an example of, let's say you just started with something here, that, whatever you have, and see if you can make it work and maybe adjust accordingly over time if that doesn't work properly. But I think it's going to be fine. I, I really do believe that we can build a good uh, a, a good putting surface out of what you have. Uh, I don't think that we'll have to amend it much, if at all. And it'll just be a little bit different in terms of... Actually, I, it'll be more... Let me tell you this way, too. It may not be as fun to take care of, but it'll be very forgiving to somebody who has a whole bunch of other irons in the fire. And I don't mean yeah. that like you know, you're know you wimping out or something like that. More to the point, though, that uh, it doesn't ne- necessarily need to be at 11 out of 10 in terms of the degree of difficulty to take care of just that one, I don't know, let's just call it a 5,000, 6,000 square foot area of your property when there's a whole lot of other things to get done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, well, and I like that's what I told Ben. I said, I, I really, am, I think it's really cool that you've just gone all in on this. He's gone all in on it as far as the build and all in on it as far as content. Mm-hmm. Like if you'll notice on his channel, I mean, it's pretty much just been this golf project this year. Yeah. That's very hard to do just coming from someone who does this full time and looking at, you know, this is, are people really going to follow along? Are they, I mean, you're putting in a risk there too and kind of going all in on, I'm just going to make people watch this (laughs) because if they don't like it, you're kind of just where you are with your channel and you're sort of stopped in your tracks there. So I told him that I was like, it's been very cool to watch that and see you do so much work with the, the project, but also start to build some more following there because of the specific project too. I think there's something with, with that idea of the first draft and knowing the property and everything like that. uh, I'll say this very big picture. And like, there's no, the way that Ben has approached it with his property, there's a sort a certain uh, aesthetic or motif, if you will, right to his whole, it's a very traditional looking 
and it will be a very traditional looking golf hole, especially for Australia. Australia has some of the best golf courses in the world. Uh, so, you know, and he's worked on some very, very nice golf courses. So he's got a lot of experience to draw on. I think with yours, the other thing too, that's very prominent here in American golf course architecture right now is this whole idea of what they call minimalism, right? So that Mm -hmm. you move as little soil on the golf course, you know, just go out there with a bulldozer and build a bunch of mounds and the fairway in the middle and you put some bunkers, you know, two up by the green and one on the fairway and just walk away and it's good. Uh, that's that's a very old, you know, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, and maybe even part of the 80s type of uh, architecture. And it's moved in these last 25 or so years more towards, okay, hey, what does the land give us? And in your particular case, depending on where you put the T and all that kind of stuff, it gives you either a, a, a drivable downhill par four with a semi-blind tee shot. So one thing you're going to have to have, and all, and and some of the greatest blind tee shot and second shot golf holes have this big-ass flagpole right behind the green. <laughs> so everybody can see, like, you've got, like, the American flag. Or, or I can do that. Ripping yeah. out there in the wind. You're like, oh, hey, i got to aim at the flagpole. Like, that's where I'm, I'm aiming at. You know, obviously, you still have a hole cut and everything like that. But I think there's a way to do this. And there's a course. I'll send you some photos uh that it's here similar landforms a little bit like on two sides of the golf course to what you have uh it's here in ohio and they recently redid it so it went from like a very ben sims look a very traditional prim and proper tree-lined you know fairways were perfectly symmetrical all over the place bunkers were placed that you know really obvious spots it just it looked it looked fake i mean it looked like it looked like and so they took it and the uh designer blew it up and so basically what they have now is uh, three different cuts of grass. So they have a green height. They have a playing height, which is fairways, surrounds, and all the way out to the native stuff that gets cut once a year. You know, So you might have, uh-huh. in some cases, in the real tight spots, it's like 10, 12 yards off the fairway where the, the tall stuff starts. And in other cases, it's you know 30 yards. It, it, there's some wider quarters. But imagine you know, like a fairway mower from high grass edge to high grass edge. It's all one height. And then you get to the green and the greens mowed down and all the way around it is all that same height. And that's it. Yeah. And there's very little soil that got moved. They kind of put they what they did was they went back to old photographs of the property from way, way back before it had been developed. And they've recreated all those landforms. They took old topo maps. It was a really cool project. So you don't have to do all that because it's all where it was to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I I see a a short, like I said, short drivable par four for playing from up by the barndo, or we go kind of almost to the top of the hill and it's a downhill par three, and man, uh, it it'll be fun. It'll be yeah. And I think that I my plan is to do more tee boxes, even if they're some of them are just like a little like a. 50 yard chip or something like that. I think if I keep the land laying the way that it is, like you said, there's some decent little slopes and things and it's mostly downhill on some of that, that it would be more challenging than it would look probably to someone who had never played and just came out there and was like, Oh, this is a short little hit. And then you realize, Oh, so that's why I think it would be cool just to leave it mostly like you said, as is I might have to change a few little things, but to make it more of a sustainable home course that, 
gives people an impression that they could pull off something like that. And it's not a professional builder who came in and like, we're going to take all this stuff, remove all the soil, put in USJ sand. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's no. not what I'm after. So. All right. I have got a wild idea. It just came to me. See, this is exactly <laughs> what happens when you start talking. All right. I'm going to set the scene. All right. You've seen the movie. You have to have seen the movie. You live in Iowa. You're not from there as a native Iowan, but you are, you've lived there long enough. You've seen the movie Field of Dreams, right? I have, yes. Set in Iowa, okay? Here's my vision. You rent 1,000 square feet off the farmer in the field next to you, okay? You still have the oh, flagpole. I, I see where you're going here. <laughs> T-box in the cornfield. We got to walk down the row. You know, you got to walk into the cornfield at this row. You know, have a little sign. Hey, you got to go at this row and don't go off because if you get lost in the cornfield, well... You know, you've had too many keystones. We'll pick you up in the morning if you start screaming. Um, but you walk in there and you've got like probably like a par three shot. Like, so you got to like, you're going to see the flagpole and you're going to be like, okay, hey, you got to aim about, you know, 10, 15 yards to your left of the flagpole and that's your target. And I'm telling you that, right? Yeah, but, that would be cool. Definitely. I don't even think I need to rent it. I'll just plant corn every year <laughs> well you could do that too i mean just how i'd say go on their property you need more distance you know you need to you need to club up we need you need to be able to play with a different club you know at yeah. each tee box that's the goal so but so heck, toward yeah towards the top and i haven't measured as far back as you could possibly go but about even with the building mm-hmm. down to the bottom of the hill there mm-hmm. is just under 200 yards ish oh perfect so, mm. yeah, if the, if the barn wasn't there, I would say, uh, for fun, you know, once a year, you know, we go up to the top of the hill, the big hill and we play from there. <laughs> 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 Either got to fly the barn or you got to lay up. Yeah. There'll, there'll be a few dents in it. Oh, over time. you know, that's, that's fine. Yeah. That's to be expected. It's, it's not there to just be a barn right it's also going to be a deflection point or a a feature an architectural feature of the golf the golf course i thought that another fun shot though so if you put the green you know on the right before that little ridge of trees when you were here Mm -hmm. you remember um, if you put one tee box for the last challenging one somewhere down in the plots that you have to go the opposite direction up and over those trees (laughs) oh man oh yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a challenge. That would be, yeah, you'd have to have mucho keystones at that point to to dive in <laughs> on something like that. I would say, but I think there's no shortage of possibilities. I love the idea though of the minimalist approach, um, and to anybody that's like, well, you just you know, you just cheaping out. Ben Sims, he spent more money. To, I'm sure Ben would tell you that he he knew what he was doing and that's how he wanted it to go right mm-hmm. I, and i yeah. think if the property that you have rk and stand up on the hill and look you know 20 miles in any direction ain't nothing looks like what ben's building that's just not the way it looks no and right i think a minimalist type of design would fit great it'd be unassuming it wouldn't be like oh there's the guy coming into town, you know, the one with the oddly fake golf hole in his front yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, 
I, I think there's tons of opportunity to do that. So this fall, you're thinking, huh? We're gonna we're gonna go green. Well, I want to start. I want to start planting the the rest of the grass there, and then I'll start figuring out exactly where tea boxes go and green and all that. And then I'll figure out my, as we know, as you said, you got to get your ducks in a row and get this stuff figured out. So my irrigation, oh boy, I'll, I'll need to, by that point, I should have a better handle on what I can and can't do. What are my backup systems? What are, and that's why I want to make it more sustainable anyway, because I want it to just be mostly like I have some areas, the green and the, the tea boxes and stuff that I really care about in, in terms of irrigation. And then, some other stuff that I'm like, okay, if it doesn't rain for a while, it doesn't rain. I mean, it's not going to look absolutely perfect, but there's plenty of courses around here too that do a lot of that stuff because of, like you said, maybe they were built many, many years ago sure. and they've, they've started to pare down like, well, it's a drier climate now or we're having mm-hmm. a drought for three years. I, I can't water this whole thing. So, yeah, I think you could easily get away with, um, you know, quick couplers every you know, 200 feet or so 175 feet. So you can take a hundred foot hose, stretch it one direction from the quick coupler. I have those put in already actually. Well, there you go. See, that's, that's literally, uh, you know, how uh, many of the old courses were that they would just tap in on the fairways and water when, and if they absolutely needed to, but tees and greens were irrigated, you know, automatically or semi-automatically. So, I think it's going to be fun. I think it will be from a content standpoint. Um, I think it'll be interesting in the fact that it's a different take on what somebody's done, but in a way that is very befitting of the property, right? And very befitting of, and, and I'll be honest, this is another thing. It's a little, it's a little Jekyll and Hyde from you, RK, because everything is so damn prim and proper. I'm not kidding. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not being. I'm not, I'm being no, a little I, facetious, no, I know. but it's, it, it will be a step in a positive direction where maybe you'll be able to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of days off, you know, and go somewhere this summer. That's what, that's the end goal. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Just tell, get there. just tell intern Kevin, he needs to come out of the fifth <laughs> wheel and get to work. Daddy's going to work. Yeah. I gotta, I'll be back later, you know? So yep. anyway, well, RK, Another fun-filled episode. I've got new things to try and do. You have some brome research to do and find the guy or gal that is uh, the quintessential expert because there's things I need to know about uh, using adapting forage grasses to use in quasi-turf situations. Uh, there's there's a, a curiosity that you've peaked now with this whole thing, and now we- yeah, and then we'll we'll be able to. Int- incorporate that into this golf thing too and be like okay 100 percent. the size of fairway areas yes i'm talking like i want to be in a a brome valley when i'm there on the middle of the fairway yep just completely ensconced in brome i love it (laughs) i love it i really have started something i apologize because you know this it's just something that's different like that's i don't know there's always like you know things that are novel unique whatever I mean, maybe it'll be a day in the future sometime where you're just like, yeah, bro, who cares? I don't think that'll happen, though. And I think it's something that, you know, you, you try and find new and novel ways to use things to the best, right? It's a, it's a forage grass. It's planted in, you know, in pastures and things like that for a reason. But uh, 
We got a lot of people that don't like mowing grass, okay? So why not? Bro? Well, yeah. And it, it, like I said, it really piqued my interest once I moved out here to look at some of the things that I would mow down. And I'm like, that doesn't look, yeah, maybe it doesn't look like a Kentucky bluegrass or a perfect turf grass yard, but I see so many people out here just spending their weekends mowing five acres of grass that they just are scalping off. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. You, you don't even want to be doing this. So why are you doing it? You got to give the power back to the people, RK. And that is through bro. Yep. We can just become the national spokespeople for that too. And I'll just. (laughs) (laughs) We're the NBA. It's the National Brome Association, dog. (laughs) There there you go. It's not going to be Jerry West dribbling a basketball. It's going to be you, you know, uh, mowing with the Ventrac through through Brome. That'll be be the uh, the logo. We'll get to work on that. Somebody call it Fiverr and let's get on it. So anyway, RK, we're going to do it again here real soon. I've got to find a way to get uh, your powder of Bermuda out there with a bow on it, like I promised, and uh, <laughs> we'll see if good things happen from there, but I have no doubt they will. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and for once in my life, I might look at the forecast at 90 and not be wanting to die. That would be awesome if I could do that, mm. but I'm going to be, I will be playing the double-sided there because I'll be crying about my other turf that's dying, and I'll be happy about the Bermuda that is loving it. Yeah, that's the that's the uh, the dichotomy of of that is that one hand of you is uh, you know looking at the uh, the dew point and fist pumping because it's sixty five degrees or seventy degrees for the Bermuda, and the other side is uh, mixing up a sprayer to go out and spray a concoction of four different active ingredients of fungicides on all of your cool season. Uh, and I've I've said this before, RK, and I'm a firm believer in it now, having been through this multiple times on different projects that are going on at the same time, is that, listen, I can spray as many fungicides as I can afford and take care of most of the problems that, I would, that would you know ail cool season grass and warm, humid environments. But one thing I can't do, I can't make it warmer and I can't make it sunnier. So let's crank up the temperatures and let's get going. That's what I say. Yep. <laughs> let's go. So... RK until next time. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk about that. I will have some, hopefully some Bermuda going down and I'll be learning a whole new world and I'm looking forward to it. So thank you so much, RD. Thank you to everyone listening and we will catch you next time.